So I wanna do something today as I open that it's not my usual, maybe even our usual here at Crosswinds. Usually we open a little bit lighter, a little bit funnier. We're gonna get to some of that, but but today I I wanna just read you some verses out of the Bible written by this guy named David. And and I want you to hear what he has to say about God and, and God's knowledge of David, how well God knows him. And I want you to think just for a moment about how well God knows you. This is from Psalm 139. David writes, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Crosswinds, God knows you. He knows everything about you. But today as we start, I want to ask you a question. How well do you know yourself? All right, let's have some fun. I I want to take advantage of the fact that you are watching this. We're going to take advantage of the fact that you're watching this on your TV uh, or a phone or a computer. I want to try something with you that tests your vision, okay? But what I need you to do is stand up wherever you're watching this. Hopefully you're not on a BART train or you may lose your seat. But I need you to stand and put yourself in a place where you can move further away from and then closer to the screen that you're watching this on. Uh, If it's a TV or a computer, it's easy. You just stand in front of the TV, take about 10 steps back. Make sure you're eye level though with the the TV. If you're holding a tablet or a phone, um, I want you to stand, but you don't need to mount your device somewhere. Just like hold it far enough away from your face. Uh, Turn it horizontal. Make sure you go full screen. Um, Today, we are talking about blind spots. And I know that when I say blind spots, you and everyone else think about driving. The blind spots, what we call that area just to the back left or the back right of your car that you can't see with your mirrors. You were taught in driver's ed, don't just check your mirrors when you're changing lanes, but like turn your head over your shoulder, check left, check right, uh, check your blind spot to make sure there's no one there. Well, I want to show you right now a different kind of blind spot with this thing, this experiment that I want you to do. And and again, it's going to take you standing up in front of your screen, so get on your feet. Yes, even you watching in bed and get in front of your screen somehow about eight feet away if it's a TV or a computer, arm's length if it's a handheld device, get eye level and let's try this. All right, I want you to look at this graphic. Again, make sure you're positioned a little bit back from the screen. Looking at this graphic, you see what I see, a green square with a plus sign on it on the left and then a bunch of red polka dots on the right with one yellow polka dot in the center. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Get your head so so you're looking straight at the image and then cover your left eye. Use your left hand, cover your left eye. Now, while your left eye is covered, look at the plus sign with your right eye. And and I want you to, as, as you keep looking at the plus sign, keep your eye on that plus sign, but let your brain pay attention to what's happening on the right side of the graphic. Again, looking at the plus sign the whole time, 
let your brain see what it's starting to see on the right side as, as you slowly move closer to the screen. Again, don't look at the right side, just stay locked in on the plus sign, but let your brain notice what happens on the right as you move slowly closer. Now, here's what you're looking for. Pay attention to what happens to that yellow polka dot. At some point, it's gonna disappear. And in fact, there's a really good chance it's gonna turn red. Again, depending on the size of your screen, you could be four feet away, you could be eight inches away. I'm gonna leave this graphic up so you can keep trying it, or maybe whoever's with you, everyone can have a chance at this. But what should happen is that at some point, as you're moving closer to the image, you are discovering you have a blind spot. All humans have these in each eye, and I don't wanna bore you with this too much, but what's happened is your retina transmits what it sees to the optic nerve. Your optic nerve sends that message to the brain, but your optic nerve ends in the retina itself. And because of that, it blocks a little part of your retina from working. So there's a part of your retina that doesn't see things where the, where the, where the, the optic nerve is in the way, a blind spot. Now, here's where this is important for today. Rather than having a little black area in your vision all day long with what you're looking at, because your blind spot's always there, rather than that, your brain, your magnificent brain fills in the gap. Your brain looks at the surrounding information, red polka dots, and even though your retina does not see a red polka dot there, your brain tells you there's a red polka dot there instead of the yellow. Did, did you notice as you moved that yellow polka dot turned red? Your brain uses the other information around that blind spot to tell you something is or isn't there, and it fills in the gap. And as a result, you go through your entire day, your entire lifetime really, never aware of the existence of blind spots with your sight. Well, probably not a big deal because you're constantly turning your head, you're moving your eyes. It, it doesn't take long for the rest of your retina that does work to give you the correct information, not a big deal. But what if I told you that your mind does the very same thing when it comes to blind spots in your character? Remember I asked at the beginning, how well do you know yourself? C can we all just admit for a moment, we are not perfect. And, and more than not perfect, we're flawed. We, we have character flaws, right? In, in fact, can we admit that it's possible that there are some things about us that might be problematic that we don't see? You saw that in, in the short film we made with the guy who hired a coach to, to help him get better at seeing what he didn't see. These are blind spots, things about us that we don't know. And what I will tell you is that blind spots have the ability to destroy your life. In 1989, a United Airlines flight took off from Denver to Chicago, and there was a fan disc in the rear engine of this DC-10 that exploded. When it exploded, it severed all three hydraulic lines on the plane. There's a billion to one chance that that could ever happen. Highly improbable. Well, when they investigated it, they discovered a little piece of titanium used to make this fan disc had a tiny imperfection that had weakened to the breaking point. It had a little nitrogen bubble in it that no one had seen. It took 18 years and 15,503 takeoffs and landings to discover this tiny little problem. It had always been there. It just hadn't created a problem yet but there was a flaw in the core of the system and it didn't show up for a long time, 
but eventually it did. It, it eroded the integrity of the system and it led to a catastrophe. And you and I, we have flaws in our core and often we don't see them. We don't know they're there and pressure hits or, or more likely pressure mounts and we didn't realize it, but this flaw has eroded some of the integrity of our system and it breaks, we break. Let me be very specific about what I mean when I say that. I mean, marriages break because of a blind spot and partnerships dissolve. And sometimes jobs get lost because of something somebody can't see in themselves. And friendships get ruined and sin gets committed. And how well you know yourself could be the thing that keeps any of that from happening, not just how honest you are, but how aware you are. These blind spots can be habits like talking too fast or talking so much people can't get a word in edgewise, just idiosyncrasies. They can be emotions that you feel or moods you get into when you encounter a certain thing and you don't notice that this mood is radiating off of you at those around you. Uh, blind spots can be actions and thoughts and words that you bring into your relationships with others that greatly affect your ability to have those relationships be everything that they can be. And, and what you need to know is that they can most certainly be sin, things you do that grieve the God who loves you and they affect your relationship with him. And I think the Bible has something for you to help make you more aware so you can avoid the catastrophe that comes with blind spots. And here's the thing, it's in Psalm 139. What I read you at the beginning, it's, it's within this truth that God knows you better than you know yourself. And David, after spending what amounts to about 18 verses talking about how well God knows him, he decides to address his blind spots. And, and I want you to see what he does so that you can do it too and avoid the heartache and the catastrophe these things cause. Um, if you're following along in a Bible, I want you to open to Psalm 139. I, I want to show you the last few verses of the Psalm where David does four things, or, or really, he asks God to do these four things so that David can be aware of these things that he doesn't know about himself. Psalm 139, and, and, and let me give you the context. Uh, for those of you who don't know, David was one of the kings of Israel and Judah. The Bible tells us he's chosen by God to be the king of God's people. And, and one of the reasons is the person who had been the king right before David was a terrible person. His name was King Saul. And, and Saul was everything you imagine when you think about what a jealous, paranoid, power-hungry dictator could be. Saul had many blind spots. And I'm going to guess it's part of what causes David to be sensitive and thinking about his own. Um, you ever been the second person to a job? Or I, I should word that differently. The next person to step into something that somebody else was doing before you. And when you get there, you find that everyone around you has a complaint about the person who was doing what you've been hired to do now. I feel like we've, we've all probably had that multiple times in our lives. Um, I had that at a liquor store I worked at in high school. I had it at a church I pastored. And, and what happens is you get very aware. Well, I don't want them to say that about me someday, so I better not do this and this and this. All right, that's David. I, I, I mean, even God had given up on Saul and didn't want him as king anymore. Well, the story of David and Saul, it spans a lot of text in the Bible. We could spend months looking at that story. But what you need to know for the sake of our time today is that because Saul is threatened by the idea of a future king, he chases David down and tries to kill him. 
He has armies of men trying to kill David because he's afraid David will overthrow him and become king. Yet the truth is, David's respectful of Saul. He's willing to wait his turn. In fact, David even has a chance to kill Saul, and he, he chooses not to because he believes Saul was appointed by God. It's not my spot to mess with that. Well, the day comes that Saul dies. He actually kills himself after a battle. His army had been defeated by their enemies. He's afraid of being captured. So he falls on his sword, and David becomes king. And one day, a guy named Cush, it's a great name, Cush, Cush comes out of nowhere, and he accuses David of some kind of wrongdoing in the death of Saul. Kind of like a, David made it happen. Now, I guess I shouldn't say that he comes out of nowhere. Cush had been a follower of Saul for many, many years. Cush is sometimes called Cush the Benjamite because he was a descendant of this guy Benjamin that we read about in the Bible who lived many years earlier. Well, well guess who else was a Benjamite? Saul. Cush is just sticking up for the family. Um, we don't read all the details of how this goes down, but we read that David is falsely accused by Cush. Now, there are all sorts of responses one has when they get accused of something. Denial. That's not true. I didn't do that. Or, or, or defense. You talking to me? You talking to me? I don't have to listen to you. I'm the king. You're not the boss of me. Even going on the offense is a response, right? Like, who do you think you are? You're accusing me of crimes? Well, I'm accusing you of treason right now. Arrest him. All of those are options for David. And you can imagine this is a, a dark moment. He has spent years not fighting Saul or not rallying against him or staging a coup. But instead, David doesn't do any of those three. David asks God to do four things that I want you to see in these last two verses of Psalm 139. Look at what he asks God for. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Reveal if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Remember, Psalm 139 up until this point is, you know me, you know me, you know me better than I know myself. But now David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Like, know me more. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Know me more. Reveal if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David prays for God to reveal his blind spots. And, and these are the four things I want you to see that he asked God to do. The first thing he says to God is search me. God, would you search me? Would you inventory me? Would you find the things that I cannot seem to find on my own? Would you find the things that are unknown to me? In the 1950s, a couple of psychologists created a technique to help people think about how they relate to themselves and, and relate to other people. They, they call this a Johari window. Uh, Johari, it's a combination of their first names. One guy was named Joe, the other was Harrington. Anyway, they used a window with four boxes. And they said in the upper left box are the things about yourself that you know and others know. It's called your known self. This is a part of you that is real. It's on public display. In the upper right box is what they call the hidden self. These, these are the things we know about ourselves that other people do not know. It's called hidden for a reason. We intentionally choose not to show this part of ourself. All right, you have things that you know about you that everyone knows, and you have things you know about you that no one else knows. Neither of these are what David is talking about. David is talking about these two lower boxes. And in these lower boxes, this is where this Johari window gets interesting. 
These two guys suggested that there are things about you that you do not know. There are character traits, there are flaws, there are sins in your life even that you are unaware of. And sometimes others are unaware of them too, which actually sounds kind of crazy because I can't think of anything I don't know about myself that my wife wouldn't know about me after being married over 20 years. Maybe there's stuff I know she doesn't, but for neither of us to know, in theory, it's possible. And, and they call this your unknown self. So you've got your known self, your hidden self. They call this your unknown self because you don't know this part of you and no one else seems to either. But there's one other quadrant in this lower set and it's the quadrant for things about you that you do not know, but others do. And they call this your blind self because everyone else can see it, but you can't or haven't yet. When I was in college, I had a group of friends. We'd spend every single weekend together. We'd go down to the city. We'd go to the beach at Lake Michigan. We'd go rollerblading through the suburbs. We'd go mountain biking through a forest preserve. We'd drive to Florida for spring break, or, or, or we'd go to Hilton Head, except for one year. One year, we went fishing a few hours south at this lake called Lake Shelbyville, and we sat on a boat all day in the middle of nowhere without a bite. Two days, caught nothing. As we're pulling the boat out of the water after the second long day to drive back to Chicago, a guy came up to us and he said, did you catch anything? And we said, no. And he said, you're in good company. Nobody's caught anything in this lake for three years. All right. Point is, among this group of friends, there was always something being planned that we would go do. And what I did not realize was that I was almost always the one doing the planning. Now, that's okay, somebody's gotta plan things, and if you're wide, wired for it and you enjoy it, why not? But, but here's the thing, if there are other people in the group who have ideas of what they would like to do, and you never do their ideas, then you're probably a little bit of a control freak. Well, one day, my friend John called me, and he said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Hey, have you noticed how everything we do is always your idea? Chris, we have to do it your way. We got to go to your restaurants. We got to take your car, your timeline, your plan. And I said, no, I, I have not noticed that. And he said, have you noticed that the rest of us never get to do our ideas? You are so insistent. I said, what are you talking about? Lake Shelbyville was your idea and it was terrible and we'll never do another fishing trip again. I am saving all of us from those kinds of terrible plans. And he said, Chris, you have control issues. Everyone else sees them, but you don't. And for the first time in my life, I was made aware of something about myself that I did not know about, but others did. Someone pointed out a blind spot. All right. David begins the quest to be more aware by saying, God, search me. Would you find the things that I don't know that others know? And, and would you find the things that I don't know that no one knows? Because God... You know me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts. You see when I travel. You know when I rest. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know everything I do. So God, would you do what only you can do, which is find the things that I don't know? The next thing he says is test me. David says, test me. 
Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear test me. It almost, it almost sounds as if David is saying, make my life hard. Because we have this way of thinking of our hard times as tests that we've gone through. All right, here's the problem with that language of test, at least in modern times. Tests are usually given to you nowadays by somebody in authority, right? Your teacher, your professor, uh, the DMV, they make you take a test. If you're a high school or college student and you read David say in this verse, test me, you think, what is wrong with this guy? Because Tests are the way that my teacher determines what grade I get, how good of a student I am. If there were less tests or even no tests, my status would be very different. I'd be all A's. The tests are what bring me down. This is not what David meant. What David is talking about is what an ancient person would do when they would test a metal like gold. Now, let me stop right there because even what I just said about testing a metal is misleading because when you hear test gold or, or some other precious metal, you imagine a pawnbroker or a guy at a gold and silver store with one of those eye things who's looking to decide whether gold is real gold or fool's gold or, or maybe it's some other kind of metal you can kind of put through a chemical test to know if it's the right thing. And because we picture that, we think, well, maybe David is saying here, all right, well, test me and show what is real in me, but that's not it either. To test a medal or, or try a medal in David's time, here's what it meant. It meant to take a crude metal, refine it in a fire, and see that it gets made pure. A crude metal would need to be purified in, into a pure and precious metal through a refinery, through a, through a process, a process that pulled all the crud out. And, and what David is praying here, he's saying, God, I am in a fire. I'm not asking you to put me in one. I'm in one. Would you use it to refine me, to take the crud that's in me and in this fire and burn it up and make me closer to pure? Think about this. God, you know me, you know me, you know me. Even then, would you still search me for more? And then would you use the fires of my life? And by that, I mean this pandemic, my job loss my divorce, the conflict I'm in with my family, the trouble I'm in with my finances, the health problems that I've been diagnosed with. God, I know you didn't give these fires to me, but I've got them. So will you use these somehow to refine me? That is a powerful prayer. Now, here's where this gets interesting. Third thing David says, reveal if there is any offensive way in me, or, or, or some versions say, reveal any wicked way in me. God, is there sin in me? Is there anything I'm doing that is hurting you, that it's hurting other people? The literal translation is, God, show me if there is any hurtful way in me. I want to see myself honestly. Would you move me from the lower windows of things about me that I don't know to the upper ones, things I, I now know that you've known all along or that, or that others might know? You guys, that is a powerful prayer right there. Reveal the junk in me. Show it to me. That takes guts. God, I don't want to be blind to my flaws and my faults and my sins. So I'm asking you that you show me. That takes guts because if you ask God to do that, he will. Now, let me show you the fourth thing. David closes saying, lead me. Lead me in the way everlasting. What he means by that is, God, there is a way that you would have me live and it is better than my way. God, I don't want to have you clean up my life only to get lost in the weeds, stray from the path again unknowingly because I don't always know what I'm doing. So would you lead me in your ways? Search me, 
Test me, reveal to me, and lead me. We have been in a dark time. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're coming out of this. But, but before we leave the darkness of the tunnel completely, can I challenge you? Could it be that God wants to use this time to reveal to you some blind spots? That the God who knows you better than you know yourself also knows that right now it may be easier to show you some things than later when you're distracted and it gets harder to notice. Could it be you've got some blind spots and your brain has been filling in the blind spots with fake information to make you think that everything's normal in your character? Could it be that internally there's something that you don't know about that's weakening your system, your relationships, your work, your everything, and you don't know it, but at some point that little bubble is gonna cause a catastrophe. Can I challenge you to pray this prayer of David's? Search me, test me, reveal to me, lead me. Would you find some time this week to go spend it with God and ask him to do those things? Would, would you just go for a walk with God and, and ask him, search me? And, and, and while you walk, just listen to what he might tell you about you because there is a God who knows you better than you know yourself, but he loves you more than you love yourself. And because of it, he wants to save you from this stuff that you don't see. Let, let me pray for you before we go. Can we do that? God, I wanna ask that you would search us this week. God, would you search us, search our hearts, find the things in us that, that, that others see that we don't or, or that no one sees that you do. God, would you test us, people who, who are in a fire right now? God, would you use the fire to purify us and, and, and to make us more like you? God, would you reveal to us all that, that we are missing? God, would you show us the blind spots that, that, that have been just, uh, that we've been tricked into thinking are not there? Our brain fills in other information and, and, and we think our character, our integrity is everything it needs to be. And then, God, would you lead us in the way everlasting? Would you show us your way instead of ours? God, I ask that you give our church the courage to pray that kind of prayer this week and to listen to what you might have to say. And all God's people said, amen.